Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 23. These are the last few verses of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We've come to the end of our series on the letter to the Philippians. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to miss the Apostle Paul and his fellow uh, Christians in Philippi a lot. It's been a joy for me to be able to go through this letter with all of you. Just this past week when I was at Synod, we were reading through the middle section of the book of Acts, and we read through chapter 16, which talks about the planting of the church in Philippi. And I leaned over to the guy next to me, and I said, this is the greatest church planting story that I've ever heard, right? A few weeks ago, uh, when we were looking at the first verses of Philippi, we thought about the exceptional circumstances that surrounded the planting of the church in Philippi. Right, How Paul had moved to that city after being lost, really, in Asia, and then met a woman named Lydia who gave her house to be the center of that church planting effort and then got annoyed by a little girl who was demon-possessed, cast that demon out, and then got thrown in jail for doing it, converted the jailer, converted his family, and then there was a church in Philippi. A remarkable story. And during Paul's time in Philippi, he fell deeply in love with the people there, right? He came to know them as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the letter that we have before us is Paul writing to people who he loves, right? Writing to fellow Christians, trying to give them good advice and trying to give them encouragement as they live out their Christian lives. And so we've seen this theme of rejoicing throughout the letter to the Philippians. Paul has been calling upon his friends in Philippi, to rejoice in the Lord. We've seen multiple times how Paul has held up Jesus as he who surpasses all things, as he who is more humble than anyone else, and therefore one who is worthy of the greatest honor and praise. Paul has held up Jesus to the Philippians and said, look at him, follow him, go after him. And so now we're coming to the end of this letter. And before we attend to the last few verses, I just want to pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, I pray that like the Apostle Paul, you would set Jesus before our eyes this morning. I pray that we would see how lovely he is, how glorious he is, how worthy he is of our affections. And I pray that coming to see him more clearly, we would follow him more nearly throughout our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things I've noticed lately is that people are talking a lot about the cost of living. Our politicians are talking about the cost of living, but also when I'm in coffee shops and when I'm chatting with friends, they're always talking about the cost of living. They're saying things are getting awfully expensive. Things are getting awfully hard to afford. And usually discussion about the cost, of li- uh, the cost of living devolves into complaining. People wish they had more. People wish that they were able to afford more. People wish that their dollar would go farther. And in these discussions, people often don't talk about being content. 
They don't often say, well, you know, I'm very content. <laughs> I'm very happy with how much uh, my dollar can afford. I'm very happy with my lot in life. And another thing people very rarely talk about in the context of these discussions about the cost of living is generosity. Very rarely do they talk about giving their money away, or very rarely do they talk about um, the causes in their life that are worthy of their money simply out of charity, simply out of love. And I bring up this idea of the cost of living. I bring up the sort of complaints that we have around the cost of living because it seems to contrast with the way that the Apostle Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. In these last few verses of the book of Philippians, Paul has two great themes. He has the theme of generosity, and then he has the theme of contentment. And these two great themes characterized the church back then, but I don't think they, char- I don't think they characterize our current society. Most people within our, cons- our society are very ungenerous, and they're very uncontent. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Most of the literature out there on church planting comes to us from the United States. And generally speaking, it's a lot easier to plant a church in the United States than it is to plant a church in Canada. Now, there's a number of factors there. But one of the factors is that Americans are remarkably more generous than Canadians. Now, that's probably not a popular thing to say from the pulpit, because we Canadians like to be smug. (laughs) Look down at the states and say, well, they do their thing and we do our thing. But Americans are generally five times as generous as Canadians are. And so this is not my way of asking you for money, not at all. But it is to say that generosity is a tricky thing, right? And often we're far less generous than we think we are. One of the things that characterized the Philippian church was its generosity. Right? It, among all the churches, is best known for giving of its money so that the Apostle Paul's ministry could go, could go forward. And Paul rejoices in the generosity of the Philippians. We see that in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul says he's grateful. He's grateful that the Philippians cared about him. And he's grateful that when the Philippians found an opportunity to give Paul a financial gift, that they took that opportunity and that they gave of their money so that Paul's ministry could go forward. And then if we skip down to verse 14, we see that Paul again is rejoicing in the generosity of the Philippians. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and a And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Right? And so we see that Paul was deeply grateful for the gift that the Philippians gave. Now, what's interesting is that Paul says 
that he didn't necessarily need the gift, right? And that's the other thing, contentment. Paul talks about being perfectly content, right? Paul talks about the fact that he, the gift wasn't actually necessary, but that he appreciated it. And of course, Paul saying that the gift isn't necessary isn't his way of saying, don't do that again. But Paul saying that the gift wasn't necessary is a recognition that at the end of the day, it's God and God alone who supplies the needs of the church. Right? Our generosity within the Christian church, our giving of money and time and talent to one another is not necessary in the sense that things won't go forward if we won't do it. But rather it's necessary because our God is like that, right? If we stop giving, that does not mean that the church will fail. That does not mean that the church will shut down. God is still faithful to his church. But it does mean that we're not being like the Lord that we love. Because if we stop and think about it, the church of Jesus Christ is generous. It ought to be generous and content because God himself is generous and content. And we see that shine through in one of the last verses that Paul writes, verse 19, and I think this is, if anything, kind of the central verse of these verses. Verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Right? Paul's confidence as he plants churches throughout the Mediterranean world, Paul's confidence as he writes to the Philippians is that God will supply their every need. That God will supply exactly the things that they need. Paul recognizes that God is generous. That's an incredibly important thing to recognize. Most of us, in one way or another, can begin to doubt God and to think that he's stingy. Right? But the scriptures teach us that God is overflowing in his desire to bless us, that God is abundant um, in his resources and that he shares those resources freely with the people that he loves. Recently, uh, just this past week, I was talking with a minister who works up in the Arctic. And the news from the Arctic was that money is getting less and less and they're having to do more with less and less money. But he said, you know what, we're fine. One of my friends said, the Lord has cattle on a thousand hills and he owns all the silver and gold in the whole world. And he said, my friend prays every morning, God, sell a few of those cattle and help us to do ministry up in the Arctic. Right? That dear saint up in the Arctic recognized that God has all the resources in the world. And that with those resources, he's eager to bless his people. And so she's confident, as the Apostle Paul is confident. Now, another thing to recognize about God is that he's content. I don't know if you've ever thought about the contentment of God, but more than anyone else in the world, God is content. He's perfectly at peace. Right? His life, the inner life of God, is defined by a great tranquility, by a deep sense that all things are well, because with God, all things are well. We believe that our God is a trinity, which means that he's three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
and the relationship that exists within God, the relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a relationship of perfect peace. And so when we're invited into the life of God, we're invited into the tranquility and into the peace of God. We worship, dear friends, a very happy God, a very content God. And so to worship him is to become happy and content like he is. We see this in real time when we read chapter 11. Paul says of himself, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, it's remarkable to remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter while he's in jail. And so Paul is not writing that he's learned the secret of being content while he's at some resort somewhere. Right? Paul's not in Florida at Disney World saying, listen, friends, I've learned the secret of how to be content. Right? And it's an all-included uh, resort, or whatever they call those things. Um, Paul is writing these words to his friends from jail. Right? He's writing these words to his friends from a place of lack, from a place of desperation, from a place of great need. And in the midst of that suffering, Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of being content. And what is that secret? The answer is the classic Sunday school answer. Does anyone want to give it? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. <laughs> the secret to Paul's contentment, the secret to Paul's peace in the midst of great adversity is that he has Jesus on his side. I love the words of that old hymn, Be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Paul has learned that through thick and thin, through good times and through hard times, the Lord Jesus is with him. And the Lord Jesus provides what he will need. In verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, whatever the Lord puts in my way, whatever person the Lord puts in my way, or whatever piece of adversity the Lord puts in my way, I can do all things through him because he gives me the strength that I'll need to do that thing. And of course, we know that Paul had to deal with an awful lot during his ministry, an awful lot of persecution, an awful lot of heartbreak, an awful lot of failure. But through it all, Paul had learned to lean upon the Christ who supplies the needs of all who turn to him. And so we see in the Philippian church and we see in Paul these two great characteristics of God, right? We see generosity and we see contentment exemplified, right? We see the people of God living their lives um, in such a way because of how God has treated them. God has been generous towards them. God has shown them his contentment, and so they are living their lives with great generosity and with great contentment. And so I'd like to come again to verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'd simply like 
to ask this question. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that our God is the kind of God who can supply us with resources no matter what situation we find ourselves in? The affluence of our current society means that we, in one way or another, don't have to rely upon God in these ways. And because we don't have to rely upon God, um, that muscle, so to speak, has shrunk because of ill use. But then what happens is suddenly we find ourselves in a situation of great need, and we don't know where to turn. And a good place to turn would be this verse, where Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My dear friends, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're trying to plant a church in a place where all the statistics say that churches are on the way out. Right? Fewer and fewer bums in the seats. More and more buildings being sold. Fewer and fewer people going into ministry. Fewer and fewer people lasting a long time in the ministry. And yet, look at what we're doing. We're planting a church in such a context. And one of the reasons we're planting a church is because of the truth of verse 19, that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We believe that God still has people in this city that he wants to save. Right? We believe that God still has people on this island that he wants to save. And we're believing in Jesus that he'll provide the words and the wherewithal to bring the good news to these people. Right? One of the things... Uh, that we all noticed, I think, when we were at Synod this past week, was that this country has great need, a great need for gospel ministers, a great need for new churches, a great need for the gospel to go out with power and transform the hearts of people such that they learn to love and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And the task can seem daunting. The task can even seem daunting on this little island. But we need to believe, we need to search our hearts and ask ourselves if we really believe that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul, as I said, was writing this letter from jail. And later we learn that many of the churches that Paul had written to and had planted fell away. Right? They departed from the truth of the gospel and they were no more. But through it all, Paul kept up his confidence that God was working through his work and accomplishing his goals. You know, I think it's interesting to note that not only does the church of Philippi not exist anymore, but the Philippian, the city of Philippi, doesn't exist anymore. The city of Philippi, if you go there today, is a tourist attraction, and it's all ruins. There's no longer a city there, and so there's no longer a church there. But the generosity of the Philippian church, the faith of the Philippian church, resounds down through the ages. And we read these words that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and we find ourselves encouraged because we find ourselves looking to the same Jesus that they looked to. Right? The Philippian church would go on, and it would be generous time and time again. It would send out missionaries. It would send out people, and they would plant churches elsewhere, and they would plant churches elsewhere. And eventually people would come across the ocean and plant churches in Prince Edward Island, and here we are today, worshiping the same Jesus that they worshiped. And so I think the takeaway is twofold. The first is this, 
your God, our God, the God that we gather to worship today, is generous and he's content. And to the extent that we look to him, to the extent that we enter into communion with him, we too will become content and generous. That's the hope, that we come to look more and more like our God. And the other takeaway is this, that the church has the privilege and the pleasure of trusting that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so we ought to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us more faith to believe in these very words, and that as faith increases, so will confidence and so will courage, and that we'll go out into the world with the good things that God has given us. And so those are the takeaways. The more we look to God, the more content and the more generous we'll become. And the more we look to God, the deeper sense we'll have that he'll supply each and every one of our needs. And now I just want to dwell a minute on the final three verses, because I think they're just lovely, and I think Paul is being a little cheeky, and I like it. Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so Paul is writing his farewell. He's saying that he gives his love to all of the saints in Philippi. But I love what he says, especially those of Caesar's household. And if we think all the way back to the beginning of the letter, we remember that Paul is chained up in prison and that he has a captive audience. Right? He's preaching the gospel to the soldiers which are imprisoning him. And he's able to address this letter not only from himself and not only from his partner Timothy, but also from those of Caesar's household who have been converted because he's in prison. Right? And so it's this remarkable bit of hope at the end of the letter that Paul, as he's in prison, is converting those of Caesar's household, converting the soldiers, and they too are now giving their greetings to uh, the saints in Philippi. And I just think that's lovely, right? That Paul is, you know, signing off his letter, not only from himself, but also from his captors who come to know and love the Lord Jesus. And so with that said, let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the generosity of your church in ages past. We recognize that because of their generosity, because of their giving of themselves, we today enjoy so much. You called people down throughout the ages to be missionaries and to be church planters, to be ministers, to be faithful Christian men and women. And through their faithfulness, you bless us. As we know, Lord, the city of Philippi no longer exists, but these words exist. You've preserved them throughout time, and so these words to those faithful people in Philippi are relevant to us because like them we worship your son Jesus and so we thank you for the encouragement that they've brought and father I also pray that we would enjoy the kind of contentment that Paul the Philippians and others throughout history have enjoyed I pray that you would put us at peace and that you would teach us the secret of contentment in all situations I pray that you would teach us to look to Jesus in all situations and finally, Father, I pray that you will teach us to look to you to supply each and every one of our needs. Lord, I pray that as we think about this church, and as we think about this church's future, 
that you'll teach us to entrust the whole thing to you, knowing that you have cattle on a thousand hill, that whenever you want to, uh, you can use your resources to bless your church. And we know that you love to bless your church. And so we're confident and content, O Lord. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.